From the very start, uh, we've effectively seen the media acting as an arm of government. Uh, they have been amplifying in many ways what government's been saying. You know, the government says, do this or we'll all die. Um, and, and actually the newspapers have been exaggerating that and taking it even further and spreading fear. Uh, similarly, the broadcasters, I mean, there's been nobody more hawkish from the start than Piers Morgan, who I think would have had us locked in our houses permanently for the last 20 months. Um, that's been astonishing. And on social media, what's been really, really actually quite sinister. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, if you're asking me, it seems like the media has turned on its masters this week. Until now, they've been presenting whatever the government told us without any questions, without any analysis. But that seems to have changed. And the best example actually comes from Denmark, where a major newspaper published an apology for failing to hold the government to account. They said it was as if they'd been hypnotized by this whole parade of government figures and, and information, and they just passed it on without asking questions without doing any investigation. I've got lots of other examples, but before we dig in, do you agree that the media's failed and that, that something's changed over the past week? Well, first things first, it's nice to hear the word apology actually being meant, because that's not what we got from Boris Johnson in the House of Commons. Yesterday we got, I apologise, but I really thought it was a business. I mean, I mean what, is it, what does he think we are, idiots? You know, bring your own booze, invitations, sausage rolls on the table, a hundred people invited, and he still thinks it was a work event. Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't mind a job there. It sounds all right, doesn't it? So, yes, interesting to get a full-throated apology from the Danish newspaper. From the very start, uh, we've effectively seen the media acting as an arm of government. Uh, they have been amplifying, in many ways, what government's been saying. You know, the government says, do this or we'll all die. Um, and, and actually, the newspapers have been exaggerating that and taking it even further and spreading fear. Uh, similarly, the broadcasters, I mean, there's been nobody more hawkish from the start than Piers Morgan, who I think would have had us locked in our houses permanently for the last 20 months. Um, that's been astonishing. And on social media, what's been really, really actually quite sinister is anybody disagreeing with any statement from the World Health Organization, or indeed even Dr. Blumen Fauci, um, has found themselves kicked off at Twitter, shut down for a period of time on Facebook. Um, so it's been very, very difficult to have any kind of skeptical debate. And I use the word skeptical in its proper sense. You know, are we actually doing the right thing? Is this virus posing a massive threat? Uh, you know, are these death figures way, way beyond the normal winter pandemic? We've not been able to have those proper debates. And I've seen a change in this. I actually myself, um, about three weeks ago, had my first open sceptical debate on GB News. I've had Dr. Robert Malone on GB News talking with him. Um, what was interesting, I got somebody else to counterbalance what Malone was saying about the vaccine. And the expert who was there to counter it began by saying, what a marvellous man Robert Malone was and phenomenal work he'd done in vaccines over this. So my debate really has been around the booster because I've been making the argument that I've had the double vaccine. I believed it absolutely was the right thing to do. I am convinced 
by the statistics that show that if you're vaccinated and probably boosted, if you get ill with COVID, you're much less likely to get seriously ill. But what I've been fighting is this, I mean, the sun yesterday, the sun yesterday, if you all get boosted, we'll all be free. Well, we keep hearing that narrative. So I've been pushing the idea, well, hang on a second, because whether you've had one, two, three, or in Israel, four jabs, and I mean, goodness knows where that ends, you still can catch this thing, you still can pass it on, and therefore, this almost, whether you get the booster or not, is almost a lifestyle choice. Uh, you know, rather like whether you eat 14 donuts for breakfast and weigh 25 stone or smoke four packets of fags a day or drink two bottles of whiskey a day. I mean, you know, this is a personal decision about your health. Actually, not getting the booster does not pose any threat or any risk to people around me. And I've had a nurse on the programme last night, 25 years service as a registered general nurse. She says, I don't need the vaccine. I've had the illness. I've got natural immunity. I don't want it. And she's going to lose her job on the 1st of April. And you're beginning to see that side of the argument uh, is actually being aired. So, yes, there is a big change. Uh, there is much more open debate. I've not had any problems with Ofcom. I've done a couple of YouTube videos on this. Uh, YouTube have not given me any difficulty. I've done one or two tweets on this. So the answer is, Nick, yes, it is opening up. Uh, but the extent to which, in the early days of the pandemic, uh, governments just controlled the entirety of the narrative without question, I think we'll look back on that as being pretty shameful. One of the biggest stories to come out, which is you know, a conspiracy that, that was censored and, and discredited and not even entertained, is the origins of, of, um, of the oh. virus. We've covered it quite a bit and there's been a few developments but what fascinates me again about them is that the mainstream media you know not only did they start asking questions about this they also started trying to answer them and not only that they investigated the cover-up of of what really went on when these you know claims were discredited even though people who were doing their discrediting actually believed them so the media is really onto this at last you know, yes. they're not coming up with anything new that, that you, know, you and I didn't know. And yet they're finally making their move. And I think that could have huge geopolitical consequences. Well, we saw Sir Jeremy Farrer yesterday and some of his letters being quoted. Um, and the story now is, and this, of course, goes back to Donald Trump in many ways, because it was Trump very early on saying, I believe that this came out of the laboratory in Wuhan. One of the reasons we're not talking about it is, of course, because the European Union and the US government had invested money in that laboratory in Wuhan. And kind of because Trump said it, mainstream media said, well, it must be wrong then. If anything to do with him, it must be wrong. It must have come from the wet market, you know, fried bat for breakfast or whatever it was. But now it's actually becoming a bit more sinister because what we're now getting, and we saw this the Telegraph ran this yesterday, and it's starting to grow, is that actually senior scientists, very senior scientists in both Britain and America said, if we publicize the fact that we're now pretty certain that this came from experiments in the Wuhan lab, this could do great damage to science and science in China in particular. And it's just another example of very senior figures in the Western world bowing down to the communist 
Chinese regime, because if I'm being really cynical, they think longer term, financially, that relationship with China will be good with them. So yes, this really now, we're now at a stage where it is beyond doubt that there was a concerted cover up on the true origins of the virus. And I think other quite good work has been done. Um, Lord Ridley in particular uh, has done, has written a book on this and he shows very clearly on the timelines that China did not alert the rest of the world in the way they should have done, in the way they could have done in time, which makes a very interesting contrast with Dr. Kurtzi in South Africa. And, and she is the chair of their medical board. And she alerted the world to Omicron. You know, she gave the world the code for Omicron. She said, this is what it is. This is how you identify it. Oh, and by the way, it's actually not serious at all. Uh, it, it may actually be a good thing because it'll build up a huge amount of natural immunity out there. So yes, I think we've got two themes from this morning really, haven't we? Number one, uh, the censorship of social media. Number two, the sheep-like following of established mainstream newspaper and broadcast media. And number three, uh, the fact that top scientists in the world hid the true origins of something that has done vast harm to huge numbers of people all over the world. So, you know, longer term, some very big questions need to be asked. You know, Boris Johnson keeps saying we're following the science. Well, if scientists are that dishonest, I'm not sure we should always be following them. Yeah, it's not just on our scientists' side. The media is also holding to account the Supreme Court in the US. I remember uh, the Sotomayor, one of the, the justices, received four Pinocchios from a fact checker suggesting that she had completely lied. And I don't recall that sort of criticism coming from the mainstream media for a, no. for a Supreme Court judge, certainly not one on the left. Let's move on to inflation, though, which is the other big story. It's more financial. So it seems to me that the inflation story is now completely out of control. And the big question for us really as investors is, will central banks catch up? Will they manage to tighten uh, successfully? Or is this just getting run out of control? This is very interesting, isn't it? And I think we should be looking at the Fed in particular. Um, whatever, I mean, the 400 billion roughly that Rishi Sunak has, has borrowed during this pandemic to date, it sounds like a huge amount of money because it is a huge amount of money, but it's dwarfed by what the American government have done. Absolutely dwarfed by it. <clears throat> and this of course gives the Fed the problem, doesn't it? You know. That the, Fed were, that the Fed were completely in denial about inflation. Interestingly, Boris Johnson was in denial as recently as October. Isn't that incredible? October, the Prime Minister was saying, nothing to see here, guys, there isn't a problem. The Fed keep talking about tightening and raising, but the Fed keep not really tightening and raising. And I think the markets are beginning to get a feel of this. We're seeing the dollar starting to soften across the board against a range of currencies. Now, if the Fed were to tighten in the way they're threatening, that might see the dollar steady. But my sense is the Fed are not going to tighten as much as they should to control inflation because they're terrified of what the repayments are going to be on the vast amounts of money that have been borrowed. So my feeling is that the tool that central governments need to control inflation, they can't actually use properly because of the levels of indebtedness. And that's how I feel, Nick, about this. Interesting to see whether you agree with that analysis. Um, and therefore, I'm beginning in my mind to think, you know, we may well see, we may well see the dollar 
start to fall. Uh, and that, of course, will help commodities like gold, which are priced in dollars. That's the way, sort of early in this new year, I'm beginning to feel that a weaker period of the dollar is coming uh, with interesting consequences for commodities, oil, uh, copper, gold, and many other things. I think what I would tell people about this is that the context is absolutely crucial. So you've had about 40 years of falling interest rates in the US, and each time they were raised, there would be some sort of crisis, and then they would fall even lower. Mm. And as they would be raised again, there would be another crisis, and they'd fall even lower. What we've done now is we've reached potentially the end of that game, where interest rates can't just go up much without causing a crisis, and so central bankers are cornered, where they can't tighten monetary policy without causing another one of those crises that we've seen so yeah. often in the past. And that creates the potential for this time inflation to actually get out of control, although it is possible that they do tighten uh, too much too fast and cause at least one more financial crisis. I think that that possibility of inflation has actually become, well, as we've seen in the news and in the inflation data, has actually become much more real than it was in the past. Yeah, and I, I, I would, um, I think perhaps at this juncture, uh, Nick, say to our viewers that actually we were calling inflation last January. We were well ahead of the game on this one, and I'm very pleased that we were. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the calls we've, we've gotten right. Unfortunately, though, the gold price hasn't rallied during this period, no, which has been no. the, the frustration. No, the gold price has range traded. Um, it's range traded. And in fact, actually, what's been happening is a lot of that money that was looking to hedge actually went into crypto. You know, Goldman Sachs talked about this two weeks ago, that kind of Bitcoin had become the new gold. Um, although it's had a pretty rocky start to the year, um, some of which is to do with Kazakhstan, I think, and lack of mining facilities. But look, you know, I think the point about gold is, and I know you've been tipping gold for a long time, that, you know, this wasn't a quick buck trade. This wasn't the 230 at Kempton. You know, this was this was a view. And, and I don't think that view has changed on gold from either of us. Well, I don't know what the 230 at Kempton is, but Nigel Farage, thanks very much for joining us. And to everyone at home, thanks for joining us as well.